0: You're listening to the Chronicles
1: of Aguna, the Arsenal
0: podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. <coughs> Tottenham get battered everywhere they go do get battered. Everybody, everybody. Oh, what's happening, people? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast part of the 90-min football network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. On this edition, I was joined by Dan De Luca. I don't know what's happened to him. He's on the stream. I'm assuming he's logging straight back in. Uh, but welcome back to the show. Always a joy uh, when doing live broadcast. Technical issues are always something you have to contend with. And in Dan's case, more often than not, but I'm sure I'll be back in just a second. Yeah, it's just messing me. He'll be back on in a sec. Here he is, Dan DeLuca. Welcome to the show, mate. What a start that was, eh? It was It was different. How's um, things? <laughs> yeah, to all good, mate. All good. Welcome back to the show, man. It's been a while uh, since we've done one of these episodes. And I thought, what better time to get a Spurs fan and, and good friend on the show then after spurs made antonio conte uh, lose his uh, lose three games in the league on the spin for the first time in years i mean you must be not very happy
1: no although the last twice i have been on i've noticed it's just after spurs defeat you give me a call and ask me if i want to come on the show <laughs> so so obviously we had we had a little winning streak so i've not been on well a, a non-losing streak so I've not I've not been on for a bit but yeah thankfully uh, with every defeat comes an opportunity to join you uh, you lovely people so every every clout trying to be positive
0: that's it exactly absolutely man no welcome back to the show it's great to have you uh big hello to everybody joining us in the live chat because there's already over a hundred of you with us and we've only been running for a couple of minutes which is incredible Welcome. Hope you're all good. Hope you've had a good weekend so far. It has been a good weekend from an Arsenal perspective, and we haven't even kicked the ball. Manchester United dropping points at home to Southampton. And as we mentioned, Tottenham Hotspur being beaten at home by Wolverhampton Wanderers. Lots and lots to get into. We're going to be starting off, I guess, by talking about the top four race in general, because I think this is Uh, A really interesting race at the moment. There are plenty of teams involved in it. Uh, You could go as far as saying, if you include um, Wolves and West Ham in that, that there's one, two, three, four teams involved in a struggle for basically one position. Now, the reason I say you can include Wolves and West Ham is just because they're not particularly fashionable names when it comes to the top four race. They're not teams that you normally associate with being at that end of the the table necessarily necessarily. And you know, for me, uh, there's still a part of me that feels that they might just fade away. I, I know I keep saying that, and often West Ham just keep going and proving me wrong. Like today, I thought they were beaten, and they pop up and get a draw uh, late on. Dan, is that just me being biased uh, and being disrespectful? I guess to the fact that
1: you, you know to West Ham because
0: they are in this race, right? So are wolves.
1: Well, yeah, they are in. They are in the race, and and. West Ham particularly are playing some really good stuff. I remember it's probably, well, six, six years ago now, we we're having similar conversations about Leicester, weren't we? Saying, you know, not being disrespectful, but, you know, they'll fall away. They will fall. They didn't fall away. Um, they carried on. <coughs> um, I'm not sure West Ham will finish at, at, at the top of this race, if I'm honest. It's, um, it's a weird sort of scenario we, we, we're dealing with here in a minute. It reminds me of the, the 2019 Top four race, if um, if people remember that at the end, where it was more a, uh, you know, it was more a last man standing war of attrition rather than, than anyone being better than anyone else. I think, you know, none of these teams are doing particularly well, and that's allowed the likes of West Ham and Wolves to to stay on the coattails. Um, <clears throat> I think I, I've mentioned this to you guys a lot, but some of the regular listeners you remember at the beginning of um, the season, that pardon, and I said, I think Man United will struggle to finish in the top four and you used the word struggle in your intro there. Um, there is a clear top three in the league. Um, and I know I did get some criticism in the chat from, from someone. Um, if you're on tonight, hi. Um, Man, Man, Man United struggling to finish in the top four. Cheers. The um, but the fact But the fact is, there's a big three. There's a clear big three. Um, and the rest of the teams are are also around scrapping for one place. And I think it will go to the wire. I think everyone will lose points. Um, I mean, Tottenham have just just obviously lost six points in a row at home. And there have been fans looking at that saying, well, there's, you know, Spurs could get six points from these next two. They haven't. Man United have dropped some unexpected points. I'm sure Arsenal will too. Um, I'm sure you'll ask me to make a prediction a bit later in the show. But I do feel that Wolves are are not good enough. I think they're in a good run of form, um but that will come to an end. Um and, and again, I think I think West Ham are West Ham are okay. Uh, I think they're I think they're a good side, they they're an exciting side, but I don't think they are of the material to outstay um some of the bigger clubs for the remaining 16 17 games.
0: Well, one of the things I wanted to kind of talk about was and and I put a tweet up earlier on and I'll refer to the results a little bit later on because I did put a poll out saying, you know, I, I'm not getting carried away from an Arsenal perspective because as abject as those performances have been from both Manchester United and Tottenham in the last kind of week or so, I know in my heart of hearts that Arsenal are also capable of performances like that. OK, so it would be wrong of me to just assume that Arsenal are going to definitely 100% capitalise on these poor results that we've seen. Obviously, we can take some confidence from the fact that we went and won at Wolves, which looks like an even better result after Wolves just went to White Hart Lane and won. But there is a part of me that still worries about this Arsenal team, worries about the, the lack of depth that we have, and worries about what happens if we pick up one or two injuries. So the question I asked, and I've put it in the live chat as well, is fourth place now Arsenal's to throw away, Dan. What's your view on that? Because you know, I'm I'm an Arsenal man. I've got my Arsenal hat on literally on this episode. And I kind of don't want to get carried away, but I'm finding it hard not to feel like there's a big opportunity there. As you're looking at it from a Spurs perspective, is it Arsenal's to throw away?
1: I, I don't think I don't think it's to throw away. I, I don't think you're that far away in the driving seat that if you didn't achieve it. It would be an absolute catastrophe, and everyone should start crying in the street. Um, mm. if, if that makes sense, I think in terms of the opportunity, it's, a, it's absolutely, it's absolutely massive. Um, and because, I mean, you're fourth now, already.
0: No, we're not. We're
1: not. Well, sorry, you're behind. Um, what is it? A You've got games in hand, haven't you?
0: Yeah, yeah, we've got games in hand.
1: Yeah, yeah so two games in hand.
0: Yeah, over two over Manchester United and uh, three over West Ham.
1: Yeah, so so all things being equal, notwithstanding as you said, there some points can be dropped, um, and, and will be at some point. You know, you you're pretty much in the driving seat. You're the favourite with the bookmakers as things stand, um, for that, for that, for that fourth spot. Yeah, I've kind of I've kind of given you a win out of your next two games minimum to 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 be fourth. Um, the the um. Uh, goal difference is favourable as well. So what you're basically saying is everyone's going to lose points. But for Arsenal to not finish fourth, not only have they got to lose points, they've got to lose more points than the other teams to not finish there. So you're in a really, really strong position. But it's not like, you know, it's not like you're four points clear with a bit of room in the bank that it'd be a, it'd be a throwing it away situation. So I park that idea. I think in terms of the opportunity, and you, you know, I listened to one of your pods a couple of weeks ago, where you kind of said, um, we well, was on the BBC actually. Where you said, actually, I don't think the target for Arsenal is fourth, and I still don't. And it just shows overnight how quickly things can things can change um, and the momentum can shift. So I think you're in a really good position. I think my honest take on it. Some, someone asked me a, a couple of weeks ago. Everyone, someone asked me about Spurs. They asked me, I think we'll finish above Arsenal. And what I say is, I don't care about about that. There's, a, there's there's four other teams there. You know, if we can't finish above Arsenal, then we won't be finishing. We won't finish in fourth. It's, it's, it's as simple as it's as simple as that. There's, you know that should be a minimum expectation for us. <clears throat> but what I said to them was, I don't think Arsenal or Tottenham are good enough. I don't think they're ready to play Champions League football. Quite, quite frankly, the the teams are not playing well enough, consistently enough. I don't think the players are good enough. Um, I don't think there's enough strength in depth in either side. And I think I think we've seen that a few times. And actually, if one of the two teams could sneak into fourth as a matter of circumstance and use that as a platform to bring in even better players in the summer than they would have been able to attract, then it's an absolutely massive opportunity. And I think there'll be teams here who, who will feel it's a bit of a kick in the teeth if they don't make it. My honest take on it is in terms of player for player, squad wise, Manchester United are are are, are the best are the best team. In terms of position and fixtures, I'd say Arsenal are in the best position. In terms of in terms of the manager, Tottenham Tottenham have I've got, got the best manager by by a country mile. Unfortunately, you know you need some you need some players. You know you need a balance of all of those things. And and maybe in Arsenal's case, the fact the managerial um, the managerial team is a little more settled than the others could be a bonus. The fact that the squad, the first eleven, are playing relatively well, I, I think, could put them in a good position. And obviously, the fixtures are quite favourable. Um, a lot of home games for Arsenal. Most of the big teams you've played, you've played away from home um, compared to the other side. So, so I do think it's a real opportunity and You know, I don't think at this point, I don't think anyone could say it would be a surprise from here if, if, Arsenal, if Arsenal saw this out. The biggest risk Arsenal have, as I see it, is that I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go big on this because you make big decisions and fair play to you. If those decisions go wrong, you have got to accept it. And if Arsenal miss out narrowly, I think Arteta's decision to fall out with Bameyang to the extent that he doesn't play for the football club anymore could prove to be a really, really expensive, a really expensive mistake in in, in his journey. And I, I and I tell you why: not having a playing for Arsenal will cost Arsenal an amount of points between now and the end of the season. Of that, of that, I'm certain. See, I'm
0: I'm a little bit unsure on that, and I'm I'm going to disagree with you just because I think having a on the pitch, having a in the team, it does give you goals right throughout the course of his Arsenal career, he's produced incredible outputs. There's no denying that he does give you something. But I would argue that one of the most encouraging things about this team today is the spirit, is the the togetherness. And if you've got a captain who is so, you know, adamant on breaking disciplinary procedures and is clearly not seen eye to eye with the manager and is clearly, um, as Harrison says in the chat, you know, he wasn't <coughs> offering anything, even at the point when he was playing. If you, if you take all of that into consideration, there is an argument to be made that we're, we're probably, I'm not going to say better off because I think that's harsh. But I, I, what we've lost in goals from Abamyang, I think we've gained in, in spirit and 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 in kind of dressing room harmony. Does does that not have any credence to
1: you? No. George, elaborate. <laughs> yeah, I can, <laughs> I, can I, I can I, I can elaborate. Um, the first word I think of when I think of spirit, the first thing that comes to mind is the Scottish national team. Um, spirit, spirit gets you to the pitch. That's that's about as far as it goes. You might dig you a, you might dig you out of a hole sometimes. You might over celebrate a win a few times and and then go and lose the next week. Um, no, not not having the spirit thing. I'm not having that. Bamiyang was offering nothing. I'm, I'm not having that either. He might have been offering less than he did the season before, and less than he did the season before, and less than he did the season before. You could say that about a lot of players. You could say that about you could say that about Harry Kane. Right now, he's not offering as much as he did last year, or the year before that, or the year before that. Um, to say he's offering nothing, when you break it down and really watch, watch your games and 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 analyze what's going on, um, it's not nothing. I think when the season began, at the beginning of the season, I think everyone, um, everyone listened to this part. If I said who's Arsenal's best player, I think everyone would have said Pierre Magbamiang. Um, he he's now not at a club that will cost Arsenal points. I I, I guarantee it. All right, um, So in the last yeah, in the last Le- five ga- in the last five games, look, there's been one goal, and that's from a centre half. That is an unsustainable position in a top four race, unless somebody steps up from somewhere, which might happen, but I, I, I've yet to see it. I've yet to see it at this. Uh, at this okay, point. Okay.
0: So hold on. So so let me ask you this question. Let's back it up a little bit. Are you saying that Mikel Arteta was wrong to discipline Pierre Emerick Aubameyang <laughs> for repeated breaches of his disciplinary code?
1: No, no, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm not saying he's wrong um, to do that. I think I think, you know, if you're setting your stall out as a manager and that's how you want to manage a group of players and you've got the back end of the ball to do that, brilliant. What I'm saying is if you're gonna do that, there are ways of disciplining players without bombing them out of the club in January. For- how
0: how do you discipline someone that you've disciplined twice before and then continues to make the same mistakes or continues to disregard the rules that are in place?
1: Well, you know, you, there's multiple ways of doing it, isn't there? I mean, there's, there's normally a stepping stone in clubs anyway, you know, you, you get fined the week's wages, then it's two weeks, then it's four weeks, then you miss a game, then you strip to the captaincy. And, and I, I just looked at it and say, well, he's the best player. He's the disciplinary breach beach this time. It didn't appear that severe to me. Like, I, I, I'm sure players have done worse things in the history of football. Um, and survived. Okay, He went to to get a tattoo. I mean, his his reasons for being in France are valid, as I understand them. He goes to get a tattoo, he comes back late. Okay, it's not brilliant. It's a bad example. Stripping him of the captaincy, dropping him for the North London derby, dropping him for a couple of games. that, That feels pretty reasonable. Obviously, something's happened in those discussions. But he's been bombed out of the club. So I'm not saying that's necessarily the wrong decision. But if Arsenal miss out on Europe by two points or three points, that decision for me will be a contributing factor in that. And that's a decision Mikel Arteta is going to have to live with and front up. So, Uh, so, so so I think there's a difference. There's a difference. There's a difference between doing something that is morally correct and something that is right for the football team you are managed. And I'm going to, I'm going to upset you now by referring to Kurt Zuma's as right? But David Moyes, who I'm not a massive fan of, he, he made a, he made a really good point in the interview. And he said, he said, I don't agree with what he did. I don't like what he did. I'm an animal lover. I don't know if he's an animal lover. I've got no idea. But that's what he said. And then he said, but I'm paid here to be the manager of West Ham Football Club. And he starts in my defence because he's one of my best defenders. So I've known Arsenal fans for long enough to know that every player who's ever left was absolutely fantastic till the day they left. And the day after they left, it was the best decision ever. I've heard it all before. We heard it with, you know, we've heard it with Sanchez. We've heard it with multiple players who have left Arsenal. The the day after they left, it was like, oh, well, he's passed it now. It doesn't matter. The fact is, the best player has left the football club. Goals have dried up. And you're in a top four race that is winnable. And I just think if you narrowly miss out, Arteta, Arteta should be looking back at that and say, did I really need to bum him
0: out altogether? See, I think that if we do miss out, there will be a group of Arsenal fans that will point to that just like you're doing now, because, and I'm not saying this is the case with you, but there will be a lot that do that because they're anti Mikel Arteta anyway. Okay. And that just, that is something that they can dig up and and throw. I, I said it before. I said it on an episode a couple of months ago. It's something that people will pick up, put in their back pockets and pull it out when it suits. My kind of view on it is the, the the culture at this football club had to change, okay? It, it really had to change. It was bad. It was rotten. And over the course of Mikel Arteta's tenure, up until now, he has managed to get rid of, with the backing of the club, of course, because there's been a lot of instances where they've had to pay people off. He has moved on all of, if not, you know, most of, if not all of these characters and got them out the door. And I think that yeah, you know what? We do lose a few goals because Lacazette isn't as clinical as Aubameyang, never has been, and Eddie Nketiah isn't going to be clinical. But this season, you've seen Saka step up in terms of his goal output. Emil Smith Rowe stepped up. You know, Martin Odegaard's contributed a few. I think for me, what what we've got at Arsenal now is is something more powerful than than two or three goals that you know because Aubameyang isn't wasn't scoring. Like, let's be honest. From the start of the Premier League season, and I'll bring this up now, i double-check it because I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but... Uh, four? Say, yeah, four goals. Four goals. Four goals is great, but is four goals worth upsetting the dressing room? And, and I do believe that that's been a big problem at Arsenal, Dan. If you look at that Wolves win the other night, away from home, we dug deep, Lacazette didn't score, played a vital part in the goal, by putting his body on the line in a situation that Aubameyang wouldn't have even fancied. Let's be honest. So you're going to get benefits in not having him there as well. That's that's the point I'm making. I, I think that people will point to what you're saying if Arsenal fall short. But I think it's a really harsh criticism of the manager, given that Aubameyang put him in a situation on multiple occasions where he had no choice but to crack the whip.
1: There's going to be one to revisit i think i think if arsenal miss out by by one or two i think i'll i think i'll tune into the pod and just listen to the views of uh, of the crowd you know i think it's it's like you said if you're pro Arteta or, or anti Arteta, you you'll look at the positives or negatives accordingly but but at the end of the day when push comes to shove having a striker who can win you a game is often the difference it's often the difference isn't it and it can you know, it
0: can be the difference it can be the difference and i agree that listen if if arsenal went out in january and bought in a center forward that we thought could contribute more goals it's a this different story Can be a conversation yeah, yeah, it's, exactly it's a,
1: it's, a diff- it's a different story then isn't it
0: but by the flip side of that should arsenal have gone out and broken the bank to bring in a striker that they weren't sure about just to appease the fans i, I don't think so i think that I, ha- I think they have made the right move in waiting just simply because their number one target, who's currently playing right now for Juventus, was not available. Now, what do you do? Do you move to your second option and then move to your third option and your fourth option and do what Tottenham did when they appointed uh, Nuno Espirito Santo and pick your 13th option and, and then...
1: Yeah, unf- unf- down the line, unf- you unf- unfortunately for Tottenham, you, you have to have a manager. You've got no choice. Eventually, you know, you have to, you have to keep going down the list until someone will come a manager. Whereas uh, you don't have to sign a striker, do you? I suppose so you can you can pull out at a certain point. But absolutely, um, yeah.
0: Let's uh, let's go over to the live chat just quickly. Uh, let's take this super chat. Thank you to Innie for your very very kind uh, donation, mate. Hope you're well. Uh, he says one way I look at it, Harry, is while other teams around us are playing poorly. We're also showing an improvement in our style and resilience to earn fourth. Yeah, and and I think what's a really interesting point right now with Arsenal is that, you know, we're not, we're not always playing the free-flowing football. We're not always pulling people apart. And it's why I said to you earlier on that I don't want to get carried away because I know that the abject performances that I've seen from United in the last week and I've seen from Tottenham, then we're not a million miles away from that. We can quite easily slip into that mode. But there's a resilience to this Arsenal side that I don't think we've seen in a long, long time. And that gives me encouragement that we won't lose too many games between now and the end of the season. And and, and I think, you know, obviously you've got to be able to convert some of those draws then into, into wins. But it just feels to me like it's easier to build momentum when you're not losing games. And I think that Arsenal right now are in a much better state defensively. We've got a good goalkeeper. We've got two good centre-halves. You know, we kept a clean sheet at Molyneux with Cedric at right back. You know, I just, I just, I'm feeling quietly confident, I guess. So you won't subscribe to the notion necessarily that it's Arsenal's to throw away. You you, you say that Arsenal are the bookmakers' favourites. What sort of percentage would you give Arsenal in terms of how likely they are to finish in the top four at this point?
1: Okay, let's say... I'll say about I'll say about 30%. Right and I and I've I've got to make that mathematically on the spot but I'll say you know Manchester United I'll say it's 50-50. They they've got the best chance of the, of the three sides and then I think Arsenal got more chance than Tottenham so I'll just split that 30-20 and I'm going to stick my neck on the line and just ignore Wolves and West Ham I forget they even exist because then the mathematics gets far too complicated but you know, it's a really, it's a really, really good chance. And I think, I can't remember if it was November or December where I was speaking to you and I said, the reason why I've got a feeling Arsenal could do okay, and I I discounted Tottenham completely at that point, and, and I have discounted Tottenham again after this week, is Arsenal have been going away from home and picking up wins. And ultimately that becomes, you know, that becomes a difference and I said to you when we were losing 2-1 at Leicester, when Tottenham were losing 2-1 to Leicester last week, I said that the thing is, no matter how well you're playing, because we played well that night, funnily enough, good teams win away. That that's that's ultimately that's ultimately what it comes down to, in it, In that, you know, for for league titles, you know, major honors, top four chases, picking up those wins away from home. And Arsenal have picked up four or five really good results away from home. And they're, they're points that other teams look at and say, oh, they might drop points today. And then when when Arsenal go and win that game away from home, the other teams, you know, they, they start to feel a bit demoralised. You know, it's just a bit of a it's a just a bit bit of a blow. They're sitting there banking on some drop points, suddenly the pressure's on again, and they've got to go and pick out a big result. So yeah, about you know about 30, 33%, I think there's a I think there's a pretty a pretty good chance. Cool. And I think I think what you said there is, is pretty, pretty valid. We, you spoke about the goalkeeper, you spoke about the centre halves I know Arsenal fans don't really like the central midfield, but it's not terrible. <clears throat> Apart from striker, now I say with Arsenal, there's not there's not really a there's not really a position you look at and say, well, it's really weak. <clears throat> so you look at Manchester United and you'd say they're uh, their defensive positions are a bit weak. Really, you'd look at Maguire and say, you, you know, he's not really at that level. Whoever his partner is on that given day is not really good enough. I know Varane's back playing again, but. There's weaknesses. You look at and McTominay, there's question marks. You look at Tottenham. You look at the you know, the right the right back side is an absolute mess. The centre midfield is a mess. You look at Arsenal, there's no real area that is a complete mess, is it? There's no, no. way you look at it. You know, there's nowhere you look at where the team sheet comes out and you're absolutely dreading it, and everyone says, Why is he starting? And then you look at the bench and you say, Oh yeah, that's why. Yeah,
0: I, I don't think that there's, you know, there's, I think when the starting 11 is fit, and when I say starting 11, I mean, Ramsdale in goal, Tommy Asu, White, Gabriel on Tierney, Jacques Partey, Odegaard, one of Martinelli or Smith Rowe on the left, Saka on the right, and lacquer through the middle. I, I think that's a good first team. And I, and I always say this to Arsenal fans when they get frustrated and they talk about the lack of strength in depth. I get that. And it is something that concerns me as well. But you can't, the way to build is to build your starting 11 and then build depth around that. You don't, you know, you don't just keep chopping and changing your starting 11. You need a settled starting 11. You identify the type of profile of player you want in each position, and then you go and find able deputies and people that will come in and complement that and or, or maybe slightly different options. For example, at centre-forward, someone who can offer you something a little bit different in a different game state. So I think that you need to settle on your team first, and then you build out. And, um, and and that's just at the phase we're at in terms of this rebuild. But let's just take this to Tottenham quickly because um, I want to get the Tottenham perspective on this because, you know, it's... it's Nuno Espirito Santo came in at the start of the season. Bit of an underwhelming appointment when you consider that Antonio Conte uh, was linked with the job from much earlier on. Antonio Conte comes in. You almost assume that for Antonio Conte to come in, he's been given some kind of guarantees by the club's hierarchy that he'll be able to bring in his own players. The January window comes along. He brings in a few players, none of which I think are good enough to propel you to that next level, but a solid squad players, your Kulusevskis, your Benton cause, And then Antonio Conte starts giving weird interviews like he did during the transfer window and after the game today, where he's saying things like, "Well, I'm not used to ch- talking about fourth position because I normally challenge for stuff much higher," and, and and he's kind of trying to make the point that this team is nowhere near where it needs to be. Does it feel like just everything from top to bottom is a bit of a mess at the moment? Because it's all good bringing Conte in, but if you're not going to give him the tools, he can't polish a turd.
1: Yeah, no, it's a, it's it's a big it's a big mess. It's a big mess from top to bottom, and it's um it's an unfixable mess unless you try and fix two or three things simultaneously. You know, We, despite what people on this show will think about Jose Mourinho, he came to the club in similar circumstances, you know, a proven manager with the ability to, you know, rough up some players and scare off some dead wood and with the unwritten assumption that he would be given some money, otherwise what was the point of appointing him? Their money didn't really materialise. He got some, but not not enough. Um, Antonio Conte, similar elite level appointment, the sort of appointment that the teams who are chat we we're talking about in the race for top four, both should have got him before Tottenham. Arsenal should have binned off a tata, Arteta the day Conte was available and said, "Yes, please, sir, come and come and sort this out properly." Um, they didn't. Manchester United basically had a vacancy. I, I know. Solskjaer was still in the role, but nobody knew why he was a dead man walking, uh, and they didn't pull the trigger quick enough. Didn't make any sense. Tottenham bought him in, and it just all kind of feels like Daniel Levy's hoping that Antonio Conte, just because he's won stuff before, is going to miraculously turn some of these players back into back into top-level players anymore. The world doesn't work like that anymore. You know, there's only so much in the modern day a manager can do, in my opinion. You know, we've seen multiple good managers turn up at lesser clubs and not live up to the hype. You've only got to look at Rafa Benitez this year. Rafa Benitez is and has been a top football manager. But if you expect him to turn up at Everton and just miraculously turn Everton into... And that followed Carlo Angelotti, exactly the same. Carlo Ancelotti, five years ago, I'd have said was the best manager in Europe. You know, he's still a very good football manager, but there's this expectation amongst clubs like Tottenham um, and Everton, less so Arsenal at the minute, um, because Arsenal had a manager for a long, long time, and they're probably still new to the market of having to chop and change and consider whether whether they need new managers or not because Venga was a you know a part of the furniture for so long. But there's this expectation that, well, if we bring this brilliant manager, maybe we can get away without spending so much. Maybe that will make up for the, the deficiency we have in attracting players. And and let's be honest, it, it, it's bullshit. You know, that you look at Tottenham squad for, you know from top to bottom, it's top to bottom, sideways. It, it's all over the place because you look at. It's a myth to a degree that Tottenham don't spend money. We don't spend a lot, but actually, when we do spend it, we sign some of the most horrific footballers I've ever seen. You know who's who's counting those players? Like, Tanguy in them belly is an absolutely appalling pool, footballer. Giovanni LaCelso in the same window. You know, looks a good player, didn't work out. Not sure why. Maybe he's been a bit unlucky. But again, that's two big signings off the back of the Champions League final didn't work out. Ryan Sassignan, third season at the club now. He spent a season away. He's been subbed off today after 30 minutes. That's, that's three signings after the Champions League final. All three of them. Two out the window. One's, one's walking back to the bench after half half hour. The longest serving player, the last man standing out of that, that quartet we signed after the Champions League final defeat, is going to be Jack Clark. I think he's on loan. So, so there's some poor scouting. I look at Emerson Royale and I look at that situation and I think to myself, well, it was in a pandemic. So people weren't flying here, there, and everywhere. Who actually went and scouted that guy? Well, how, well the funny how thing that... is,
0: the funny thing is with Emerson Royale, is I remember doing a show during that transfer window <coughs> and talking about the need for a right back and the fact that a right back would have to come in because we knew that Hector Bayerin was was seeking an exit. And and I remember getting absolutely hammered in the chat for saying that I'm not really sure about Emerson Royale. And look how that's worked out.
1: But I mean, I know it's early days to write a player off in a new in a new division, but it comes back to the top to bottom thing. I can't remember the last time Tottenham signed a player to be ready now. A player who's gonna come in now. And the day I sign him, I know I'm going to turn up. He's going to play a good game today, straight away. You know, like when we signed Rafael van der Vaart, um, we signed Rafael van der Vaart maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago now. And you knew the day after he turned up, you, you know, we've got the boy. He was ready today. We keep trying to sign players for the future. I think people had bright hopes for Tanguy Ndombele. Didn't work out. But the point is with Emerson Royale, who actually went to scout him? Because I'm not convinced anyone at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club ever went to see that guy playing in person. It's impossible. I don't know how they've got there. So ultimately, what we, what someone has done in the football club is has rung up Barcelona and said, you know, have you got anyone you don't want, and we can we can pick him up for a reasonable a reasonable fee and we'll slot him in. Oh, it's not working. I well, will tell you what we'll do. We'll pay fifteen million for the best manager in the world, and you know he'll just wave a magic wand. It, it, it's, it's a, should 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 Arsenal fans
0: be? Um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Should Arsenal fans be grateful that at the very, very least, it seems that our club has a plan? Because what you're describing at Tottenham is the approach of, let's go and get a ready-made manager to come in. And and if you're Manchester City and you've got a squad stacked with talent, if you're Chelsea, this is the best example. If you're Chelsea, who under Frank Lampard still had a squad stacked of talent, but weren't, you know, he wasn't managing to get the maximum out of them. And then they went and got Thomas Tuchel, a top coach with top players, There you go. There's the results. I would you would you say that Arsenal fans should at least then be grateful that, unlike Spurs, where you're showing one kind of vision off the pitch, i.e., let's bring in a top coach in Antonio Conte, but then on the pitch looking at a group of players that just aren't good enough, doesn't it feel like there's a disconnect there? And should Arsenal fans, as I go back to the question,
1: should Arsenal fans
0: be grateful that we at least have a plan? It seems.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I'd rather have a bad plan than no plan. And then I'd like to know who's accountable for that plan. And then if the plan is a bad plan, that's that's where you go. You know, let's say it's Edu. Well, this is Edu's plan. It doesn't work. We know where we're going. You know, Edu, step aside, terrible plan. You know, if the manager's allowed to bring in their own players which you never know who's bringing in players in modern football for for obvious reasons. And I understand the purpose of a director of football. So you're protecting the club's assets and interests. And when that manager's gone, you don't want him to leave a load of filth behind, which actually is what's happened uh, uh, to to, to Tottenham to to a degree. And I think it'll happen again because Conte is going to bring in players he knows, which is fine, and those players will be left there. But whatever. I'd rather have a bad plan than no plan at all. Um, You can't keep chopping and changing managers and not chopping and changing the players. You know, we're talking about Endembele, who's a disgrace of a footballer, let's be honest, an absolute shambolic footballer. You know, he's... He's, he's, he's worse than Pepe as a signing, to give you context. You know, that's what, that's what we're dealing with here. Hey, I mean, hey,
0: that's... hey, hey, hey. Don't put Pepe in that bracket. At least Pepe's shows up and, and is, is fit, God's sakes. <laughs> it's
1: quite, quite, quite questionable. Um, but it's absolutely ter- terrible signing. But even he, he signed after the Champions League final in 2019. He was already on his fifth manager in like two years. You, you can't. You can't go through business like you know. You can't go through business like that and expect to be successful. Like you said, he might work for Chelsea, where you're going to give that manager a whole load of whole load of money. It, it, there is no plan at Tottenham um, whatsoever. I think there was an idea, an arrogant idea at board level, that we were doing well and we're going to stay there forever. I think it's very similar to um, probably Arsenal's outlook, maybe eight years ago where they kept scraping the top four and there was always that belief where you know this this will you know we'll always be top four at least so from there we'll always have the opportunity to build again you know the game the game game has changed and for Tottenham, we're really really struggling to attract players we need then you bring in different managers with such regularity that if you're a player would you really want to up sticks and give absolutely everything give up everything to go to Tottenham to play for Antonio Conte, who's only got 14 months left on his contract, and he's giving those in types of interviews that you heard earlier. It, it's a really weird situation that I don't see a way out of. Um, the, took, the rebuild has taken too long. I said the same about Arsenal a year ago, that it's taken too long to rebuild. But at least at least it's almost done now, I suppose. You know you can see the end of the tunnel. Everyone you wanted out of the club, if Aubameyang was in that number, then great, that's an extra one. If you're lying, I forgive you. But, you know, everyone you wanted out of the club's now gone. You've now got a new squad. It's fresh. It's new. You can see the direction. And there's something to build on. There's young players you can get better. Tottenham have slipped away behind that. Um, And to a degree, I think Manchester United have as well.
0: Let's let's talk a little bit about Manchester United, because um, I was commentating on Manchester United's game uh, at the weekend. So, I had a good chance to watch and, and, and try and make sense of, of this whole Ralph Rangnick debate because there are a lot of Manchester United fans from people that I work with who tell me that actually the issue is not with Ralph Ranick that his tactics are good, that his ideas are good, that his philosophy is good, but the problem is that the players aren't able to carry it out and that they're the ones uh, whose doors we should be placing the blame at. I've watched Manchester United on a couple of occasions now in full um, in the last couple of weeks or so, and I've I'm, I'm I'm looking at a team that isn't fit to play the way that Ralph Ranick wants them to play, but I'm also looking at a team who know that this guy is not going to be there beyond the end of the season, and and almost I guess not disre- disrespecting him or disregarding his instructions, but. I mean, how can you implement a style? I guess is what I'm trying to say, and a philosophy, and embed that when it's clear that you're not going to be there at the end of the season. Have Manchester United hung Ralph Raniuk out to dry, in your opinion, by appointing him at the point they did, and and by making it an interim appointment?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a mess. It, it's it's just it's just a mess, and I don't understand. I don't understand it. Uh, they obviously they obviously have a manager they want don't they they have a manager they want so so they've they've got rid of Solskjaer at the point where it become unsustainable and I don't know what happened with Michael Carrick but I imagine he volunteered for the caretaker role got told he didn't want it and that's why he left the football club um I think they'd have been better off sticking with Carrick for the rest of the year than bringing in a guy who completely wanted to change their style in six months with, with players and egos at the football club, such as Cristiano Ronaldo, who let's be honest, he wants to play the way he wants to play. Um, and he feels he's earned the right to do that over the years. So in Manchester United, I think you've got some problems in the dressing room, a bit like you were describing with a Bamiyang, um, to a degree, would you get rid of Cristiano Ronaldo to make everyone else happier? Absolutely not. So I think there's, there's a bit of an issue there. Um, Like you say, Ranić, um, he's a bit bit of a strange guy as well. Some of his interviews, but you know, he's not going to be there next year. So some people aren't going to put the hours in and listen. And they look really disjointed when I see him play. They look. So you, you danced around it a
0: little bit there, but
1: is Cristiano Ronaldo a problem for Manchester United? Yeah, he is a problem of sorts, isn't he? He is a problem of sorts. Um, I remember when we spoke on a a pod We was on towards the beginning of the season and we said, well, what's he going to do to the other forwards, the other young forwards? And I said, well, unlucky, absolutely unlucky. You know, if Cristiano Ronaldo comes into a club and you're a young aspiring forward, you've got two choices. You either learn from him or you don't, in which case you weren't good enough anyway. I think some of the things, by the sounds of it, um, I don't know if I can say this that Marcus Greenwood, uh, Marcus Greenwood, um, Greenwood's learnt from Ronaldo probably things he shouldn't have been learning from him, and perhaps he should have been, a, he should have been watching his training ethic. Um, but yeah, he he is a problem, and the reason he's a problem is because he's the star man in the club, but actually he's not the best player. So the star man before that was Bruno Fernandes, wasn't it? I think we can all yeah. agree on. And Fernandes was pulling the strings and getting his own way and running football matches. Um, Fernandes seems to have dropped off since Ronaldo arrived. And it's all right if young players are dropping off. Like Getting back to my point where we said young players may drop off because Ronaldo's there. Well, unlucky. But when established members of the team start dropping off and they're important members of the team, it's a problem for me. So having Cristiano Ronaldo there for all his benefits... And it loops back round to the Abamian point, doesn't it? But he is a problem to a degree, and um, I think he's a problem that Ranik is struggling with. And I think the problem has been that the friction between the two that appears evident to me has prevented Ranik from stamping his authority on the squad from the outset, and that's why they haven't really moved forward. Um, so it's a really interesting dynamic there, in, in my opinion.
0: I think with um with Cristiano Ronaldo, look. No, Let's not take away anything from the fact that he is one of the greatest players of all time. Yeah. We can all agree with that. We're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna have that debate because it's it's not worth having. You know, I think he's done enough over the course of his career to warrant that kind of that label, that title, if you like. But the problem is with Cristiano Ronaldo is that he is someone who, as as DeLuca says, wants to play his way. And as you also said correctly, has earned the right to do that. And it just feels to me like With Manchester United, when I think they're at their best, it's when they're playing direct football. They're playing balls in behind the fullbacks, into the channels, and they're using the pace and the explosion, explosion, explosiveness, explosivity, I don't know what the bloody word is, uh, of the Rashfords and the Sanchos. And they're getting those guys in behind. And you'd think, in theory, that having somebody like Cristiano Ronaldo in the middle, who is incredible in the air, is a wonderful finisher, it would be the match made in heaven. Yet when they come up against teams who have a low block, they're struggling to break them down, and and I get that because it's a problem that Arsenal have too. But a game like Southampton, where Southampton were quite clearly happy to take the game to Manchester United and were quite clearly happy to play on the front foot, I expect Manchester United to be able to pick them off. And there were times in the first half at the beginning of the first half in particular, where they were really doing that, they created a couple of really good opportunities that they should have taken. And then the game's done and dusted and it's a completely different conversation. But I just think that, I don't know that there's just, you've got a guy coming in, in Ralph Ranick who who's been given a job and that is to to take over this team until the end of the season. What chance does this guy have of changing the culture, changing the way they play uh, and, and, Dealing with all the, the egos that we've talked about when they all know that he isn't the man they wanted and they all know that the man they want is out there and they're gonna move for him in the
1: but summer. It's it's just an environment that yeah, it just can't work, can it? It just can't. No, it no, it can't. And it and it and it isn't. And this is why, and coming back around to the beginning of the show when we we're talking about Arsenal and their opportunity and is it is it theirs to throw away? You look at all these other problems and the other clubs that we're quite rightly being critical of them of at the minute. Tottenham, no plan, very little hope. Manchester United, no one knows what's going on at board level, manager level, player level. We don't even know who takes their penalties. Like This is what we're dealing with here. And you look at Arsenal, despite all the messes and problems Arsenal have, it seems a a train of relative stability, doesn't it, compared to those clubs? Um, But I just find it strange how, how Manchester United were, they were able to do it for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer three years ago. Um, which ultimately has ended in this problem where we are now because Solskjaer stuck around for far too long. But they had a caretaker manager in Solskjaer who they clearly didn't want. Um, they wanted Pochettino, quite obviously. They all rallied around for Solskjaer, but they won't do it for Ralph Ranić. And that is where I think the influence of Cristiano Ronaldo is significant. And I could obviously I could be wrong. I could be talking bollocks, but I, I don't think I am. I think the presence of Ronaldo in that dressing room, Ronaldo is trying to manage Manchester United through the six months instead of Ralph ranger that is my gut feel I, I honestly I honestly believe that um
0: and the thing is with Ronaldo as well right it, it doesn't even have to be that he's saying things he shouldn't be behind the scenes or it's just sometimes his body language and I, and I know it's because he wants to win <coughs> and I know it's because he has very, very high standards, but sometimes just the way he swans about the way he reacts to, for example, a goal going in at the other end, or it's nothing the to do to with it. a is
1: fact, not right, is it? nothing to do with the fact this cameras watching him. Nothing to do with that whatsoever. That yeah. over the, the, the that, oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, a cam- there's a camera over there. Yeah, of course there is, but yeah, it's, um, it is a mess. And despite what Ralph Rennick says about recommending himself for jobs, Ralph Rennick isn't going to be there next year. Um, if it's not Pochettino, they're gonna they're gonna go round again. Um, I think Ronaldo's already looking for his next move, isn't he? So maybe part of the problem will go away. But um, yeah, it's 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 not a good place. Then they're, they're not playing that well. Um, they're not playing that well at all. They've obviously bombed out of the cup. They're missing chances, which I guess the only thing I would say in their favour is you don't miss big chances forever, do you? I guess. And, yeah, that's that's a really key point. And and Ralph Ranick
0: pointed to that ahead of the Southampton game he said i think we'd had 60 something attempts at goal over the course of the last three games and we'd not really converted them and as i mentioned although people are talking about how bad they were um you know in the second half against Southampton yesterday there was a chance where ronaldo went around the goalkeeper in the first period he had it cleared off the line and there was another moment where jaden sancho was through on goal and really should have scored and didn't so We can sit here and say it doesn't look like there's a plan. The tactics look off. There's lots going wrong there. But if they just took their chances, then things would look very, very different. So we have to factor that in as well, that, you know, the manager can only do so much, right? A lot of the responsibility is on the players as well. Yeah.
1: And that's ultimately why at the beginning of the show, I said, you know, if you're putting a gun against my head now, even though I said they will struggle to finish in the top four, I'm still banking that because it has been a struggle. But I think Manchester United will just edge it. And that's just because pound for pound, I think they've got I think they've got the better players of of all the squads involved. And I think they'll I think they'll accumulate more points. But there there's not gonna be there's not gonna be much in this. There, there really isn't. And it's it's primarily because Manchester United have opened a massive door for other clubs because of their instability. Um and there's there's a big opportunity there for someone to cash in.
0: I've been saying that all season. That for me, it's still Manchester United. That they're still the favourites. That they're still the ones that everybody should be looking at. But over this last week or so, man, I'm getting sucked in. I'm getting sucked.
1: <laughs> it's in. It's easy to get what sucked in, do? though, isn't it? You've seen the swings. It's only well, it was it was only four days ago that you looked at it and said, "Well, you know, Tottenham are in the driver's seat, yeah," and they've got yes. two home games. They're, you know, they're level on points with everyone. Games in hand, I know you've got to win games in hand, and then two home games back to back that's six points. And guess what? That's no points. And then just like that. And so, I think the next three games for Arsenal from memory, you'll know this better than me, but they're, I think there's three winnable fixtures, aren't they? Um, is there Palace in there, Brighton, maybe? Or there's three winnable games in a row.
0: The next three fixtures, we've got Brentford at home,
1: Brentford. There you go.
0: Then we've got Wolves at home because we've had that game rescheduled from the 28th of December. Then we go away to Watford and then we're at home to Leicester. And I'd say that Watford and Leicester are winnable games at home. I I think we can win all of them, really.
1: You can can win all four as individual games. Individual games, you'd expect to win all four. I I mean, if you can ping nine points out of that, 10, great. But even three wins and a defeat out of that. And, you know, that's... It's really, really good shape. You'll be in really good shape, and from there, when you look at the league table, during those four games, other teams are going to drop points. There's, there's, there's no doubt about that. And uh, I think, yeah, I I think this is a pivot. Don't,
0: man, don't, don't. Because I'm just building myself up to be disappointed. Don't, don't. Um, Just a quick reminder: if you're with us in the live chat at the moment, make sure you hit the like button. There's over 350 of you live with us right now on YouTube alone. Uh, we've only got 125 likes on the board. Let's get that up to 150 ASAP. Also, if you're new or haven't done so already, please do subscribe to the channel because we are around about 70 subscribers away from hitting 19,000 here on YouTube. And then we can begin pushing for that 20K, uh, which I'm desperate to get to by the end of the season. So please do uh, subscribe like share comment uh, if you want to go one further by becoming a member of the channel and having input in our members mailbag shows as well as the opportunity to join me on some live streams then please do sign up as well using the link in the description okay um let's go back to that poll that we put out right at the top of the show is fourth place now arsenal's to throw away 72% of you 72% of 358 votes Saying that it is, so we're oh, all, getting, I, sucked in. We're all belief, getting sucked
1: in. The belief, the is belief is there, but that's what you want, isn't it? That I mean, as Arsenal fans this season, yeah, you know, Arsenal and Tottenham have been in similar places for the last three years. Um, that's what you want, isn't it? You want you want something to cling to throughout the season. You want to compete. You want to, you know, you want to have a ticket to the raffle, don't you? You don't want to be Absolutely. scrapping around for seven and eight. For the end of the day, I think people, people will overreact um if if our clubs miss out and some of the reasons that they put in their summary might well be valid ones like dropping a Bamian was a difference like oh we didn't sign this player or we didn't you know we didn't have an extra striker or you know whatever it may be but ultimately to 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 be back competing again is, is is where where Arsenal need to be so I think this season uh, whether I like Mikel Arteta as a manager or not becomes irrelevant. This season has to be seen as, as progress. And it's yeah. something, to, it's something to build on regardless. Do I think Arsenal will make it? Do you know what? Ugh. Do you know what? It, it wouldn't, su- it wouldn't surprise me from here. I'm not going to be right, as so harsh. I'm let not me harsh. Yeah, Let me ask
0: on. you this. Cause, Cause you're not an Arsenal fan and, and you don't have a Mikel Arteta in or out agenda. There's none of that with you. You, you You just hate Arsenal because you're a Tottenham fan, standard. But you you haven't got that, you know, Arteta in, Arteta out thing, which seems to divide our fan base even still. If Arsenal do finish in the top four this season, in terms of percentages, how much of it would you attribute to Arsenal being or, or, or Arsenal's progress? How much of the percentage would you put to Arsenal's progress and how much of it would be because the teams around us weren't up to scratch?
1: I think, do you know what? I, I, I think you've got to balance that in, in the favour of progress because because for other teams not to be up to scratch, you still have to be partially ready to capitalise, don't you? You know, we've yeah. we've had this in the past with teams, haven't we? Like, I, you know, i I'm sorry to keep going back to Tottenham, but it's the easiest comparisons for me to make because they're the team I watch the most, obviously. But I remember that when we finished third to Leicester, and everyone was like, oh, it's because Man City and Liverpool were shit. So, okay, well, sorry about that. And then, you know, we got to the Champions League final, and it was, oh, it's because, you know, Bayern Munich weren't very good this year. Oh, well, sorry about that as well. Do you know what I mean? And I think we finished fourth for the first time in 2010, and it was because Liverpool was shit. Ultimately, you know, these teams have been shit in different seasons. There was a lot of teams last year who weren't very good and Arsenal finished eighth. So there is some progress there. And if you're going to criticise a manager, like Mikel Arteta has had a lot of criticism, and rightly so in some cases. If you're going to criticise him for his team not being ready on the pitch, you've got to praise him when his team are ready on the pitch. And actually, you know, if you make points comparisons where Arsenal finished this year compared to where the team who finished fourth or fifth last year how many points they got? I will have a bet with you now. Arsenal will be there or thereabouts. Some um, on on the money. So I think. You know what? Let's have a look now. Let's have a
0: look now. If I look at the the league table for the end of the 2020-21 season, I'll have a
1: place. I'll say sixty eight to sixty eight to seventy will be my stab.
0: They had Chelsea in fourth, got sixty seven points. Okay. So and if you look at Arsenal now, we are on thirty nine points.
1: 39 points. So, what's that? That's 28 short. Well, I'll
0: tell you what we can do. We can go back to last season on match week. Well, this is a bit weird because the table's all over the place this season, it's, isn't it? It's,
1: it's skewed.
0: Yeah, it's a bit skewed. Okay, so Arsenal have played 22 games now, right? And they've got 39 points. So, if we go to match week 22 of last season's table, and we'll only look at Arsenal's points return, just loading, just loading, loading, loading. loading. The team who ended up finishing fourth, Chelsea, had 36 points.
1: So you're ahead of, the, ahead of the grain. Ahead of the run rate. you got 39, is that what you said?
0: Uh, yeah,
1: so we're three points ahead of the run rate. Head basically. of the run rate. So so Arsenal have improved. I don't like this. You know when you said I'm not in out, so therefore I don't really care. I just don't mm. I hate Arsenal. You know, I don't even hate Arsenal anymore. I, if I had a choice, I'd rather Arsenal didn't win. Obviously, I think that's I think you can forgive I think you think you can forgive me that admission. But at the end of the day, you have to be prepared to praise the manager if you're happy to have your knives out. And you know, it's not Mikel Arteta's fault that Manchester United have made a mess, but he's got his team ready to capitalise. They're not they're not sat here today behind Tottenham, behind West Ham, behind well they're behind West Ham because of the games that they're not behind Leicester like they were last season. They're ahead of those clubs and they're ahead of those clubs because they've gone out and they have won football matches and they have won football matches because they've made improvements to the side from last season. And Ma- and Michael La- Arteta has contributed to that. So I think I think he I think, he, you know, he'll be 60 to 70 percent because he's got his team ready to, to compete. Um, and, you know, fair play to him for that because he hasn't had the easiest run as a manager, um, but he's stuck at it looping back around to the beginning with the Aubameyang thing. He's been true to his principles. He's bra- He's backed himself. He's backed his philosophy. And, you know, he's making he's making forward strides. So, you know, credit credit to him for that at least.
0: At least. Good stuff. Lovely point uh, to leave the podcast on. Uh, Dan, always uh, great to have you, mate. Always good to get uh, a different view. Always great to get uh, a Tottenham view after they lose, of course. Uh, just a quick reminder, once again, <laughs> You can God. ring
1: me next. You can ring me next week as well, because you got man. Yeah, because got man. City. Yeah, you away. Got man City. <laughs> love yeah. you on Monday. <laughs> as
0: uh, as uh, Eli says, uh, please subscribe, guys. Let's get Harry to 19k tonight. Look, the quicker we get to 19k here on YouTube, the quicker we can push towards 20,000 uh, on this platform. So uh, please do uh, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Make sure you hit the like button. Uh, Dan, are you still on Twitter? Because you seem to be on and off it. I can't keep track anymore.
1: No, I, I made some um, I made some comments that um violated one of Twitter's policies and um and uh I I don't know what it was to be honest. It, it was nothing to do with football. Um I took issue with um I took issue. You know those people uh reunite Britain. They start gluing themselves to the roads. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I took issue with one of those one of those people and um yeah, Twitter Twitter didn't like it. So I'm not on Twitter at the minute um current i'm cut <laughs> i'm cut won't be allowed back on ever yeah, I'm current, it wasn't that bad but i'm currently having a standoff they wanted me to like send in like you know 107 things to reactivate my account and i just thought to go through that just to get abused by arsenal fans it just feels <laughs> like a lo- feels like a lot of effort i can come on, i can come on here and, and, and do that instead so that, no, that gluing
0: themselves to the road stuff was a bit was a bit weird wasn't it
1: yeah i, I, weren't, I weren't too happy with that and then they had one of their guys on with a really long beard and he just, he just annoyed me. So, <laughs> so apologies, but yeah, hopefully I'll, uh, I'll get round to, I'll get round to coming back on soon and uh, I'll, uh, I'll share my handle with you once more. Yeah. will be back one day. Anyway, we're
0: going to leave it there. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. Lots of you live with us tonight. Lots of you, I'm sure will be watching this or listening to this back later on. Uh, so thank you for your continued support until next time. Take care of yourselves and stay safe and uh, up the arsenal.